Shapers on Jazz FM. Listen in color. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. When the world is on your shoulder, gotta straighten up your act and boogie down. If you can't hang with the feeling, then there ain't no room for you this part of town. That was Off the Wall from Cyril Aimé, a beautiful version of Michael Jackson's classic. Good morning, it's me, Elliot Moss, here on Jazz FM's Jazz Shapers. Jazz Shapers, the place where you can hear the very best of the people who are shaping the world of jazz, soul and blues, alongside their equivalents in the world of business, a business shaper. I'm very pleased to say that Steve Bennett is my business shaper today. He is the co-founder of the Genuine Gemstone Company. You'll know Gems TV, that's the most famous iteration of his business. But he's also set up 30 businesses, yes, you heard me right, 30 businesses across the last few decades, an extraordinary guy. You'll be hearing lots from him very shortly. In addition to hearing from Steve, you'll be hearing from our programme partners at Mishkondorea, some words of advice for your business. And as well as all of that, of course, some fantastic music from the shapers of jazz, blues and soul, including new music from Jose James, classic blues from John Lee Hooker and this from Nina Simone. Breaking rocks and serving my time. Breaking rocks out here on the chain gang. Cause the dumb convicted me a crime. Hold it steady right there while I hit it. Well, I reckon that ought to get it been working. The punchy and powerful sound of Nina Simone with work song. This is Jazz Shapers, and as I said earlier, Steve Bennett is my business shaper. And if I actually listed all the things he's done, we wouldn't be finishing by 10 o'clock this morning. He is the co-founder of the Genuine Gemstone Company. You'll have seen Gems TV, which is, according to the words in front of me, the longest established jewellery channel in the UK. And he's here sitting in front of me. Thank you very much for joining me, Steve. Elliot, all my pleasure. Now, how long has this amazing business been going, which is now turning over £100 million? So Gems TV, as you say, quite correctly, of of the jewellery brands we have is probably the most well-known in the UK. That started in 2004, so we're some 11 years old now. It wasn't your first business. I alluded to the fact that there have been a few before. I'm going to go way back to when you left school. Uh, the reports are that you weren't the best student ever, and I've heard that before many times. I was terrible, yeah. It, d- did you know very quickly? That, I mean, wh- when did you decide you were terrible? Because, you know, we, we, we both got kids. But it's, probably, it's probably all to do with Jazzy's fault, really, because my dad was a sax player in a band, and we played at all the conservative clubs, and, and we played at the, uh, the Labour clubs. And at about the age of 13, he'd drag me around three or four nights a week playing the sax. So I was too tired to go to school the next day. Because <laughs> so, obviously you're a very smart guy and you have an aptitude for business and, and you like to work. And I believe you also um, are kind of post-school, you're a gardener, you're a computer engineer, you're a car salesman. I mean, you obviously knew that working hard was a good thing. Yeah, I had to work hard because one thing my father overlooked was he kept saying you're going to be a sax player one day you'll be you'll be on the cruise liners that's what you, you know that's what you're destined to do. But he he overlooked one thing and that was I wasn't very good at playing the sax. So I spent all those years learning to play the sax being told and this is I think where I was really lucky. I'd got a parent that was going you can you can you can rather than you can't you can't you can't. So 
I think when people say, you know, what's that magic ingredient? And certainly my own kids, it's just give encouragement from an early age. So all I've had really is a lot of encouragement, but I wasn't a very good sax player. In between all these jobbing jobs where you were literally just trying to get the money in because you weren't a very good sax player by your own admission, um, you then stumble into running a business or creating a business rather called the Software Warehouse, That's 1989, right. with your brother. That's right. He, well, he was still officially at school because he was 15 at the time. Um, so <laughs> This is great. The one, one of the kids leaves, leaves school very early and doesn't want to do it. Another yeah. one's at 15. He's going to approach Brian's brother. I know. It was terrible. And obviously, my parents weren't overly happy at this stage because they realised they needed one of their three children to be educated. Um, so, yeah, he would come with me. We would borrow my mother's car. We would borrow, borrow my mother's credit card. And we would go and try and sell computers and install them and do all sorts of things. And th these are early days for computers. So we were door knocking, trying to convince people that they needed a PC for their accounts or, or, or word processing or whatever back then. Now, you're going to find out much more about Steve, my business shaper. But just to say before we go to the lovely Jose James, that business which started there driving around in a car actually ended up being sold for £37 million 11 years later. So whatever you were doing, and we'll find out a bit more about it, you were doing it right. Time for some music. This is Fine and Mellow from Jose James. That was fine and mellow, and indeed it was from Jose James. Steve Bennett is my business shaper. He's the co-founder of, you will know it by the Gems TV name, it's actually called the Genuine Gemstone Company. They do other things as well. It's a turnover of a £100 million business, turning a pretty tidy profit too, and I believe the profit has doubled, uh, will, be, will be announced soon, has doubled since last year, give or take, doing very well. And Steve, we were talking before about not your first foray, because if it was your first, we, we'd have to go back even further. But the fact that your proper first business with your brother, who was definitely under the age of 16 when you started it, ended up selling for £37 million. How did you do it? I mean, what did you know about software then? And how did you pull it off in 10 years? I think that IT at the time was just starting to happen and PCs were just coming out. And I'd spent a couple of years as a, a trainee computer engineer for a company called ICL. Um, but wanted to go into sales because I, th I thought that's where I could make a bit of cash. Um, and they wouldn't let me go into sales because I wasn't qualified, didn't have a degree, didn't have A-levels or anything like that. So um, I decided to go on my own and uh, we went door knocking. We started to sell computers and then we realized there was a little bit more profit in the actual software that drove the computers. And we went close to the wall a few times. We, we almost closed it down once or twice. I remember going off uh, to America for two weeks to a, a sailing competition, left my brother at that time at 16 years old to look after the business, again driving around with my mum in her car to fix computers, and came back just about to shut it all down and had found a bit of software advertised in a magazine, uh, an in-flight magazine, that doubled the hard drive space of laptops. And at the time, Laptops only had like 10 megabytes, and you couldn't put much on 10 megabytes. So I, I sort of played that we were a big importer of software, and they gave me exclusive rights, and we got into the software industry. The things you just outlined, and you talked earlier about your, your father talking about you can, you can, you can, and I imagine that played a big role in believing you could do stuff that really you had no right to know how to do. But then it sounded like you quickly worked out 
that you could put structure around that, that you could actually scale, that you could you actually could do a lot more than you might have thought. Yeah, I think confidence underpins everything. That's the foundation uh, to most successful business people. But then a lot of hard work on top. So I meet too many people, sadly, that say, oh, I really want to do this. But there's a desire, but they don't want to put the effort in. Um, so, yeah, in the early days, you put immense amounts of hours in. But that confidence from the parents, you know, giving you that attitude that you can achieve things uh, is probably the best foundation for anybody in business. But as a young man then building that business, that first one, you would have had to put proper financial accounting in place. You'd have to build a proper team. You had a brand. I mean, you did a lot of stuff. You just sure. learned, you learned on the job. You've got great people around you or both. No, in the early days, I mean, you have to do everything yourself um, unless you get a huge amount of finance. We started with a 4,000 overdraft from the bank and... Uh, uh, and that's how we started off uh, way back in 89. So we started with very little finance. So you'll learn to do everything. You'll learn to do the VAT return. You'll learn to do all the paperwork. You'll learn to sell on the telephone. You'll learn to sell door knocking. You you teach yourself what you need to learn. And uh, most businesses in the early days, you know, you have to be a jack of all trades. Was it fun then? I mean, you're running a much bigger business now. Was it more fun than you were having now? Or was it actually more stressful as you think about at that early stage? I think in the early days, there's a lot of stress. I suppose it depends where your money comes from. And, you know, my parents were lending the, the, the their mortgage was against their house that they we got the 4,000 loan for. So uh, there was a lot of stress in the early days, and even, even to tears at times when things would go wrong. And, you know, I've got to pay mom and dad back this money. So a lot more stress in the early days, a lot of stress, as you talked about, that uh, we eventually sold that business uh, to Argus in 2000, uh, a lot of stress around the sale of that. Uh, but stress is not a good thing in business. Probably in the early days it is, but uh, as you learn, as you get on and on, uh, as you start more businesses, you really have to try and avoid the stress. Stay with me to find out how Steve Bennett, my business shaper, is still here smiling and not looking too stressed at all. Latest travel come up in a couple of minutes, but before that, some words of wisdom for your business from Programme Partners at Mishkondorea. Hello, uh, my name is Andrew Yurki. I'm a partner in the competition group here at Mishkondorea. Uh, what I want to uh, talk to you about uh, today is an issue that very often small businesses forget about and they think because they are small then certain rules don't apply. Well there is a whole body of rules in the UK which have been in place for uh, the last 12 years or so uh, and they're called competition law. And our friend, the regulator, the Competition and Markets Authority, expects all businesses, large and small, to have a basic understanding of the rules. Now, there are some very, very helpful plain English guidelines on the Competition and Markets Authority website, and they tell you the basics of what you need to know. So simple things like, you shouldn't agree with one of your competitors what prices you're both going to charge for your product or you shouldn't carve up the market by saying, I'm going to uh, service Fred, you've got to service Jack, and I won't service Jack so long as you don't service Fred's requirements. Simple things like that. Uh, and one of the classic mistakes we come across time and time again is smaller businesses saying to us, but we're only tiny, this can't be a problem. Unfortunately, that doesn't normally uh, hold water with the regulator. So you do need to be alive uh, to the rules and what they mean for you. 
The downside, if you get caught up in any of these investigations, is uh, you're going to spend your time, instead of running the business and trying to make a profit, uh, you'll be having to spend time talking to a regulator who'll be asking you uncomfortable questions. And if you've really got it wrong, then you might face a penalty of uh, several thousand pounds, which is the last thing you need when you're starting up your business. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You're listening to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. You can catch me talking to a fantastic shaper from the world of business every Saturday from 9 o'clock till 10 here on Jazz FM. If you miss any of them, then go into iTunes, put in the words Jazz and Shapers, and you'll find a, a whole bunch more. If you happen to be on or near a computer, cityam.com is also your destination. I'm giving you lots of choices. And even, yes, even if you want to fly in the air, you can go on British Airways and you will hear some on BA's High Life. Today, Steve Bennett is my business shaper. He's the, f- the co-founder of Gems TV, the co-founder of the, the Genuine Gemstone Company. He set up many businesses before that. He'll probably set up loads more afterwards. He's also, and I'm going to come on to this a little later, the co-founder with his wife, Sarah, of the Equal World Foundation, or the Colourful Life Foundation, which we'll, uh, we'll come on to, and he talks, we'll talk all about what he does over there in all sorts of interesting countries for local people. Steve, you were talking before about selling the business and stress and the nature of stress and how you need to stop stress you need to dissipate stress over the years i imagine selling a company is one of the most stressful things that you can do is that right i think again depends on why you're selling we sold jungle at a time where things weren't real in business i remember one strange meeting with an investment bank where we'd lost three million pounds in a month and i went into the meeting and at that morning on the train, I'd read that lastminute.com had lost five million in one month. And I went into the meeting. Uh, that was my defence. We hadn't lost as much as last minute. And the banker turned around and said, well, Steve, the problem is you're not investing enough. Look how much money you could be losing if you invested properly in marketing. And that's when stress comes in, when you're told to do one thing, when you actually fundamentally know that this isn't real, this is not the way business should be. So that when we were doing jungle.com and in the middle of selling it to Argus, that was so stressful because... All the things you learn in business were thrown out the window at that stage. The voice in your head at that point, and again now and any time in between then and 2000 and now in, in 2015, is there a voice? Is there someone who is calm and sensible, not yours, but as someone from the past? Or, you know, are there advisors you go, I really trust their opinion? Yeah, a couple. Uh, I've been very fortunate over the years uh, with the people that I've met. Um, there's a great guy who runs Carphone Warehouse and Talk Talk called Charles Dunstan, uh, who's a wonderful guy. And no matter how big he gets, if I phone him up with an issue or a problem, um, I go down, I see him, and, and he will take five minutes, ten minutes out of his busy day to try and analyse the problem. Uh more recently, the last couple of years, uh, Richard Branson joins us on one of our charities. So uh, we get access to Richard four or five times a year. And and certainly where I'm in my business now, he's probably the most influential because yeah, I'm just coming up 50. I've got child number seven on the way. and and He I'm, said I'm, seven. He did, he <laughs> did, did say, say seven. seven. He did say I seven. Did just say so seven. if you're not sure, he did say seven. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to get to that stage now where... Even a year ago, I still felt guilty if I wasn't in the office when I could be in the office. You know, I'd feel guilty if I'd take a morning off to go for a run or go cycling. And I'm just trying to get to that point now where it's, hang on, let's get the balance right. And of course, Rich is a master at that. So, uh, yeah, he's probably currently my main mentor. In terms of their mentoring, and you've picked two phenomenally successful people and, and people that have very good reputations as well as being decent people. What is it? What's the nature of the advice that they give you that is so good? 
I had this massive ceiling in my head that I couldn't get a business over 100 million. And uh, we, we got there close in the IT industry two years in a row, finished in the 90s. The last financial year in my jewellery business, we ended up at 99.5 million turnover and everybody was taking the Michael at me saying, you know, that, that, that limit you've got, you really have. You know, you just can't build a business over 100 million. And we've just done it this year. And the advice from Charles Dunstan was simple. One word he said, Steve, clarity. You haven't got enough clarity in what you're trying to achieve as a business. Just really make sure that you understand what it is. Then you can sell it to your team, who can then sell it to the customers. And uh, we just hadn't got enough clarity. Talk about one word you need to remember. It's that one. It is clarity. Fantastic advice. Time for some music. This is Boom Boom from Mr. John Lee Hooker. That was Boom Boom from John Lee Hooker. Steve Bennett is my business shaper, and we've been talking about all sorts of things. Clarity was the last thing we were talking about. Clarity as a concept obviously helps everyone in business in, in all sorts of in all sorts of areas. How do you take that advice, and how have you taken that advice and actually applied it in the business? It's one thing having a message. It's another thing taking the message and actioning things. What's been the secret to that? Because people listening will be going, yeah, yeah, I've got the clarity, but I still haven't got the results. Yeah, I'll give you a great example. My dad used to tell a story. Uh, he used to have a, a, a car showroom uh, selling minis, and there was a Ferrari garage down the road, and uh, a lot of my dad's uh, colleagues said, look, we've got to get into high-end cars. And, and one day, the opposite happened. The Ferrari guy started selling minis, and his customers got confused, and eventually the Ferrari guy goes out of business, and the gentleman my dad worked for carried on in business. So my dad taught me early days about clarity as well. But what we did was we were, as we are today, in the gemstone jewellery business, and we were, you know, we were doing very, very well. But my wife said, come on, maybe we start looking beyond just genuine gemstone jewellery. Maybe we start looking at, you know, some of the, the costume jewellery, getting to the volume lines rather than, you know, the aquamarines, the tanzanites and all the things we're, we're famous for. And we talked about it so much for about two weeks. She almost convinced me to go against what I thought we should be doing. So I said to my brother one day, I'm going to go in. I'm going to change the limited company name to the Genuine Gemstone Company so that even if I'm long gone, long dead, nobody changes the, the structure of the business. So we went as far as changing the actual uh, limited company to to stop anybody from changing the route, the route of the business. Um, but clarity, yeah, it, it, just know what your business is about. Don't spread it too, too thin. You know, if you want to do other things, then do it under different businesses, different brands. And, you know, Richard Branson's a master of that, although he's got the Virgin brand. He believes in smaller business units rather than one big business unit. So split it down uh, into different uh, streams, but be very focused. Now, you haven't just arrived at being a successful person. It hasn't been plain sailing the whole way. You've had a couple of bumps, probably oh, more than one or two. Yes. One, one, that, one that I'm aware of is the Vienna Pre business, the wine business, which mm -hmm. I think you set up around 2006. That's right. Collapse, you lost millions. Yeah. And you just, what do you do? You just dust yourself off again? I mean, again, people wonder how people like you carry on. It must have felt awful. Yeah, that was tough, that one. Uh, we'd sold our Gems TV business in uh, 2006. Um, 
and we were looking for something to do. So we decided that what, what Gems TV does, it goes around the world, it finds the gemstones, we film it coming out of the ground, we show those documentaries on Sky, Freeview, Virgin, and customers buy the jewellery. And we were convinced that probably the biggest element to what we did was showing how the gemstones are... Uh, 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 made and coming out of the ground from nature so we went around the world filming vineyards we thought it was the nearest thing to what we'd done previously so we went around the world filming vineyards then we started importing wine and uh, my, I should listen to my dad again actually because he said if you can sell something invisible on the television I'll take my hat off to you and of course we didn't we lost a lot of money and uh, so it was really misunderstood what the main driver to our previous business was but you don't sound like that stressed you out to the point about stress early. It sounds like you learnt from that. And again, back to the clarity point, you had you understood why it didn't work. And then the mentality is, what? Well, I'll just go again. Because you bought the Gems company back, didn't you? you? That's what happened. It That's floated, right. didn't work. You found money. They were losing money. That's right. And yet you still went in. So the conviction you had to continue, you, you never wavered. You didn't have a question, did you? I think, you, I think you'd be a fool if you didn't question your own... Uh, strategies at times and I think we did question especially when everybody including the bank thought we were crazy buying back Gems TV it had gone from very profitable uh, to losing half a million pound every single month uh, so with the cash we'd got uh, in reserve after losing so much in the wine industry um, we, we, we knew we had to turn it around almost immediately so it was a huge gamble remortgaging the house after at one stage we'd, you know, we were quite comfortable so yeah uh, you've got to have a lot of confidence but it's got, you've got to be able to back it up with something and we we did really believe that we knew the gemstone industry and we were so passionate about the gemstones that uh, we decided to give it a second crack lucky you did we'll have our final chat with steve plus we'll hear some music from dr john that's after the latest traffic and travel here on jazz fm jazz shapers on jazz fm in partnership with mishkondorea it's business but it's personal <laughs> String on my finger. That was Dr. John and Bonnie Raitt with I've Got the World on a String. Steve Bennett is my business shaper just for a few more precious minutes. Steve, you were talking earlier about the fact you bought this business back, Gemstone business, uh, the Gems TV business, uh, because you were passionate, because you believed it could work. How did you fix it? What have you done right since then? I think back to something we touched on earlier on, clarity. Uh, they had done all sorts of things wrong with the business. They, The staff weren't uh, excited about what they were doing product-wise. They tried to run it by spreadsheets and certainly jewellery and, 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 and clothing and the things that are brands. It's about passion. You know, customers buy into the passion. And if you try and run jewellery businesses or clothing brands uh, purely off spreadsheets, that passion disappears. Um that was one element. They, they tried to, to run it very financially rather than letting the customer decide on the right price points. Um, and we were, uh, the way we sell all our jewellery, and it's quite interesting, you know, most of the business world is about sale or return. You buy something, if you can't sell it, you send it back. Well, we can't do that because we make our own jewellery. So the great thing for us is we put it on the TV, we put it in a reverse auction, and the customer decides what to pay. And they'd lost that. They tried to, they tried to say what price something should sell for. And the whole beautiful thing is if I get five aquamarines out of the ground or 30 tanzanites, 
let's the, let's let the customer decide. Sometimes we make more than we thought we would. Often we make less than we thought. But that was the beautiful thing about the brand. That is still what the brand's about today. Uh, and that's what they lost sight of. Now, since then, and the things they lost sight of, you've totally focused on. There is, has been clarity. And you've, as you said, you've broken the back of the £100 million ceiling, which you had. You've been named number one fastest growing privately owned company by the Sunday Times, Julie Retail of the Year, British Jewelers Association, Julie Retail of the Year there. I mean, it goes on and on. You're doing really well. You've psychologically gone through the £100 million. What's next? And will, it make, and will the money make you happy? Because you strike me somewhere where the money's not enough. Uh, it's not about the money. Well, to it's me. never about the money as well. So uh, I think anybody that goes into business with the money as the main motivator genu- generally loses because uh, I wouldn't have bought it back if it was about the money. It was too big a risk. Uh, most of the decisions we make aren't money related. It's about trying to do something either bigger or better. Um, and again, I think if you look at even back to Richard Branson, you look at all the things he's done. Has he ever entered anything just to make money? I would argue probably no, never. Uh, as he always tried to do something either better or found a problem, you know, better airline, better this, better that. So it's never about chasing the money. Uh, it's about trying to do things better than everybody else is doing uh, or in a different way. Um, so what's the next thing? Well, we, we, we're trying to raise as much money as we can for, for the charity we've set up. So for us, we want to keep growing it so we can keep putting more and more into the schools that we're building and the different projects we've got around the world, uh, all based on education. Now that means, and I wanted to talk about the, the Colourful Life Foundation, which, as you said, is mm-hmm. building schools and so on. Your values have they always been like that? Did you always think when I've got enough money, I'm going to focus a lot more on giving things back, or has it emerged and evolved because of the freedom that the financial position you are now in has given you? Yeah. So no, what hasn't always been there uh, in the early days. Um, it probably didn't even cross my mind, but. About eight years ago, in Africa, looking for gemstones, as which what I spend most of my time doing is looking for gemstones in <laughs> Africa. Uh, and you see poverty, and you see things where you think you can help. And just like business, I think we made a lot. We did a lot of wrong things in the early days, as in trying to do things without the involvement of communities, thinking we were helping and, and we weren't. So even that's a learning curve. But you know, I've got six children, number seven on the way, and we want to think, make things a bit more equal. You know, nothing frustrates me more coming back from Africa where we've we've done something and these kids are smiling, we've got nothing, and come home and my two sons are fighting over a PlayStation game because it's not the latest version or it's the wrong Xbox or it's, it's the wrong whatever. So, uh, in fact, one of my big groundings for them at the moment is to take them with me around the world and let my kids see firsthand what, you know, what real poverty is about. Well, listen, keep going. It's fantastic work to do. And keep, you know, obviously, you've got to keep building this business to enable you to, to be in a position to do all the great things that you're doing. It's been an absolute privilege to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Just before I let you go, though, uh, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Uh, well, I like lots of different jazz. But if I go back to one that my dad tried to teach me as a sax player in the early days, uh, it's Take Five. This is your choice. It's Take Five from Dave Brubeck. That was Take 5 from Dave Brubeck, the song choice of my business shaper, Steve Bennett. 
totally down to earth, a lovely grounded human being, has complete focus on what he needs to do, understands the power of clarity. Resilience, someone who set up a business and then has failed and then gone back and has failed and gone back, he just keeps on going. And passion, a real belief that what he is doing is what he should be doing and it's helped him achieve his latest goal of breaking the 100 million revenue barrier. Fantastic stuff. Join me again, same time, same place. That's next Saturday, 9am, for another edition of Jazz Shapers here on Jazz FM. In the meantime, stay with us because coming up next, it's Nigel Williams. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM, in partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal.